Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure to interview my colleague and friend, APRN Carly Willard. APRN Willard will be navigating the unique challenges IBD patients or patients with inflammatory bowel disease face when they are pregnant. Carly, welcome to our show. Neil, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out today to interview me. I'm excited to share a little bit of IBD knowledge with all of you. Um, I joined Connecticut GI about four years ago and have really seemed to find my niche in taking care of patients with inflammatory bowel disease. So this is always an interesting topic to talk about. Great, because it's always a topic that's always a little bit of a mystery for me. So uh, let's jump right into a common clinical scenario. Uh, you get a phone call from one of your Crohn's or ulcerative colitis patients, and they tell you they are pregnant. Um, after congratulating them, uh, are there some things that GI providers should address right away? Uh, any blood work or diagnostic studies you suggest empirically? So great question, Neil. Um, Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I'm already actually starting to discuss pregnancy with my patients well before I actually get that phone call saying that they're pregnant. Um, You know, essentially with inflammatory bowel disease, there should really be a lot of preconception counseling that takes place. Um, I think that this is incredibly important to start, um, you know, really early on with my patients. Really, if I'm seeing a new patient and they're, you know, conceivably at childbearing age, I'm already sort of starting to plant that seed. Um, There's been a lot of research suggesting that the the best pregnancy outcomes really come in patients whose Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are already in remission. Um, And and what that basically means is that, um, you know, they're really asymptomatic. And even on something like endoscopy, a colonoscopy, um, the biopsy would show that, you know, they are not having any inflammation in their colon at that time. Um, And so, you know, this is the conversation we're having really well before pregnancy. Um, But to really answer your question, the first thing we're obviously discussing is disease activity. Um, You know, where are they in their disease state? Do they have active disease? Are they really already in remission? Um, I like to start ordering baseline labs. I would look at a fecal calprotectin. Um, This is a great tool to assess the amount of inflammation inside the colon, and it's a lot easier than a colonoscopy. Um, And this will give us a general idea of their current status. Um, The other thing that I think is really important and something that, you know, patients and and maybe even an OBGYN may not think about is really IBD patients, um, when they're pregnant, they should really all be considered high risk. So all of them should really already be being set up with a maternal fetal medicine specialist, somebody who can really hone in on their disease state and also kind of partnering with their GI and OBGYN to make sure that the best outcomes are going to be met. That, that's a great point. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I guess as GI providers, we are so used to seeing patients with IBD. For us, it's a normal state, a normal disease state, but you're right with pregnancy, uh, getting them on board with MFM early would be a smart decision. Uh, how, how about their therapy? Do you ever change their therapy empirically? Uh, are there some agents you always avoid during pregnancy? 
Yeah, so it's interesting because that's always one of the first concerns that a patient has. And again, you know, as perfect providers, which we're all really busy and we all know that that's not always the case, you know, we're already having these conversations about pregnancy and the medications they're taking and whether or not it's going to be safe through pregnancy. Um, and, and many of the medications that our patients are already on are actually considered safe through pregnancy. And, and what's sometimes hard is that an OBGYN may not even know again, those small idiosyncrasies of inflammatory bowel disease in pregnancy. And so if you were to read the package insert on some of these medications, you know, OBs, uh, patients, you know, anybody reading this is going to be terrified conceivably of using these medications through pregnancy. But really, again, um, there has been a lot of research on many of these medications, and, and most of them really are pretty safe to continue through through pregnancy. Um, medications like 5-ASAs, like methalamines, those are one of the hallmark um, medications that we see a lot of our IBD patients on. Those are absolutely considered generally safe during pregnancy. 6-MP and other thiopurines are also considered low risk and are really well tolerated through pregnancy. Um, we have many patients that are on biologic therapy. Those are medications that are infused or given via injections. Um, Anti-TNF medications like infliximab, adalibumab, um, sertilizumab, those are all really considered low-risk medications. Um, Vetolizumab is also another one that is considered safe through pregnancy. And so we see patients on these medications oftentimes when they have, you know, Crohn's disease or even ulcerative colitis. And so most of the time, we'll just continue those medications throughout their pregnancy. Um, there is one medication called methotrexate that is a complete contraindication through pregnancy. So if we had anybody who was on methotrexate and found out they were they were pregnant, um, absolutely, we would be sort of taking them off of the, met the methotrexate. Luckily, this isn't typically used as a monotherapy. We have fewer and fewer patients that are on methotrexate alone to control their inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so this means the patient is likely already on something in addition to the methotrexate. And oftentimes it just means that we may need to adjust or monitor um, when we stop that medication. Stellara ustekinumab is um, a little bit different than some of the above uh, medications that I had just mentioned. Um, and unfortunately, it's a little bit newer to the Crohn's and um, um, inflammatory bowel disease realm in itself. And so there's unfortunately just very little data through pregnancy. But again, it's always a risk versus benefit discussion that we're having with our patients. And so if a patient is really stable on Stellara, you know, we have to then weigh out the risk of changing therapy, regardless of where they are in their pregnancy state. And so, you know, there's risk with that. And, and at the end of the day, it means maybe that we're going to be sort of having this discussion, but also kind of continuing to sort of monitor them. Um, and, you know, I'll be really honest, we had sort of chatted a couple of seconds ago, you know, this preconception counseling and these conversations about pregnancy should really be being had far before um, we have to be faced with them with that phone call of, hey, I'm pregnant, what am I going to do now? Um, and so it's interesting when I'm seeing a new patient who, A, is just being diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease or, you know, had been diagnosed many, many years ago, you know, during sort of childhood or preteens um, and are already stable on a medication, we're having that pregnancy conversation and we're already starting to kind of talk about the best medications to choose in pregnancy. You know, it's very different if I'm seeing a new onset inflammatory bowel disease patient who's 50. At that point, you know, 
most of the time. They're already through their pregnancy years, and I don't really have to be worried about it. But if I'm seeing an 18-year-old female who's coming into the office for the first time, and I'm concerned that her diagnosis is going to be inflammatory bowel disease, and then we do that workup, and it is, I'm already kind of thinking about this as, hey, this woman's going to want to have children at some point. Um, you know, what are the medications that are considered the safest? Um, corticosteroids are another medication that patients are popularly on through um, or with inflammatory bowel disease, um, and, and that is also considered safe through pregnancy. So we can always use that through pregnancy as well. That, so that's great. So, I mean, if I... Uh, we're summarized up to this point, you know, obviously I, I think, and you've mentioned this, the, the critical point is to have the conversation even before uh, your patient is pregnant. That's step one. And step two is, you know, get them with MFM. And step three is most medications are safe. Um, methotrexate being the obvious one that is a no, no. Um, so let, let's say you, you know, you've gone through this point to your patient, the patient's on a good regimen, they're doing well. Uh, but you know, pregnancy, leads to a lot of clinical changes. And now they start to flare during pregnancy. What do you do then? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Neil. And I think all of us as gastroenterologists are faced with this challenge at times. Um, so obviously, we would want to see the patient in the office. The very first thing we would probably do is recheck some lab values, recheck that fecal calprotectin that we had talked about earlier, get an idea, you know, where are we from an inflammatory standpoint? Um, oftentimes, if patients are having copious amounts of diarrhea, another important lab test to check is a C-diff test, um, which is done via a stool test. Patients with inflammatory bowel disease are at an increased risk of this diarrheal bacterial infection, and that needs a very specific treatment that is really outside of the usual inflammatory bowel disease therapy. So we would definitely want to make sure that that wasn't an underlying problem. As I had touched on earlier, corticosteroids are the drug of choice during flares in pregnancy. Um, and so, you know, that's always where I would go first. Um, Lamotil is not considered safe during pregnancy, but Imodium can be used to help control diarrhea. So again, at this point, we want to really calm down the symptoms. We want to get better control of the symptoms. You know, for patients who have ulcerative colitis or ulcerative proctitis, if they're having flare symptoms, rectal formulations like Kanasa, Rawasa enemas, those can be really helpful and, and those are considered safe through pregnancy. Um, so that would be somewhere that we could start with those types of patients. Um, something like eucerics foam, which is a locally acting hydrocortisone sort of formulation, can also be helpful too. So we definitely have some options to gain control if we do find that things are flaring. Uh, great. And now let's say they don't respond. Um, when is it safe to consider endoscopic evaluation? Sure. So, so this is really a, a tricky question, Neil. Um, you know, I would attempt to avoid endoscopic evaluation if possible, um, and, and really, you know, really especially during that first trimester. Um, however, there was a small Dutch study show uh, done that actually shows that maternal and fetal outcomes during colonoscopy were actually really similar to those not exposed to endoscopy. Um, and so, if we have to, then you know, at the end of the day, we always just need to sort of weigh out the risk versus the benefit. You know, the question I always ask is, how will the results of this test change my course of treatment? Um, you know, imaging modalities like MRIs and MREs. Um, MRE is an uh, enterography study where it's really just paying, you know, particular attention to the intestines. Those are also considered safe and could give us a lot of information as well. So that might be an option to, 
start and kind of get our bearings, try some of the above medications, um, you know, and then really at the end of the day, if we just can't gain control, then we really do just need to weigh out that risk versus benefit and decide, you know, I think at this point, we do need to sort of look endoscopically. And, you know, at that point, maybe it is going to be sort of, again, that risk versus benefit conversation of at this point, do we need to initiate a new therapy? Do we need to change therapy? Um, You know, we need to sort of really kind of figure out what is going to be best for both mom and baby. Uh, Great. So to me, it's similar to even our non-IBD patients where we really, if you're pregnant, we we really try to avoid any endoscopic procedure, any invasive procedure for for all our pregnant patients. And similar here where we really need to know why we're and what we're going to achieve from the endoscopic look before we go down that pathway. Um, one of the, one of the questions that comes up, uh, you know, with my pregnant patients is they ask me, you know, um, they're doing fine, but it's time for delivery. Uh, is there any special considerations? Should they be t- again, MFM would help weigh in here, but are there any special considerations when considering mode of delivery? Absolutely. Another great, another great question. Um, you know, it's really important. Again, um, I think all of these discussions should be had very early on with both, you know, the patient's OB, the fetal medicine provider, and the GI provider. Um, I think it's important for there to be open communication between all of us as providers. Discussions about mode of delivery should occur very early on in pregnancy. Vaginal deliveries are considered safe as long as there is no perianal disease. That's something that we can see with Crohn's disease, something like fistula, abscess formation, um, patients with active perirectal, rectal, vaginal, or perianal fistula will absolutely require a C-section. It's a complete contraindication um, to deliver vaginally if you have perianal disease. Um, another consideration is patients with UC or ulcerative colitis. Um, we may need to consider a C-section. Um, we may not need to consider it. Um, if patients have flared through a majority of their pregnancy, you know, we really, really want to maintain the integrity of the perineal area. Um, and, and the reason for that is sometimes with patients who have UC, they need to end up with surgery, surgery to kind of um, help to correct their flaring ulcerative colitis, and a J pouch needs to be created. And if a J pouch ever needs to be created, it's very important that the rectal area is, is sort of maintained. Um, vaginal delivery with an episiotomy can be a real risk factor for those sort of perianal complications. So again, you know, I think having a discussion early and, you know, being open to the plan having to change, you know, we could always go into it with the idea of, yes, you know, we want it as easy and safe as possible. If that means a vaginal delivery can be done, then by all means, we should be considering that for our patients. Um, you know, I'll share a really quick story with you. I happen to be managing a uh, pregnant female currently. Um, she's about 33 weeks along. She is, um, you know, flaring at this point in her pregnancy. Um, she's been on prednisone for the past couple of weeks with some improvement of her symptoms, but her maternal fetal um, specialist actually reached out to me a couple of weeks ago um, and had said, you know, I want to have this discussion with you. What do you think about vaginal versus, you know, C section. And so we had this great conversation and, you know, her OB was able to really reassure me. She felt strongly about letting the patient deliver vaginally. Um, Her symptoms are now much better controlled with 
the help of some corticosteroids. Um, and the OB had said, you know, I'm confident that I can get this patient through a controlled vaginal delivery where, you know, I can almost guarantee that we're not going to have to worry about sort of an episiotomy. We're going to do it slow. And, you know, while they can't always guarantee that and it's not always perfect, I had a lot of faith that this provider was reaching out to me, wanted to have this conversation, you know, really felt strongly that this patient felt strongly about having a vaginal delivery. And you think at the end of the day, there may not, aside from the perianal disease being really a contraindication for vaginal delivery, there really may not be a right or a wrong. It just needs to be a conversation that is had. And we need to, again, weigh out those risks versus benefits. I mean, I think that's great, Carly. I think, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot as we talk right now. And I think the biggest take home for me has been conversation and communication early, both patient MFM, OB, uh, start early, start even before a patient is pregnant, uh, leads to better outcomes. So, uh, Carly, thank you so much for this. Um, not only the, the anecdote you shared, but also just the clinical pearls you just provided. Um, I really appreciate your time. Um, uh, to our listeners, I hope this was helpful. I, I know this would be helpful. And uh, that wraps up another episode. Uh, uh, we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. For additional information about today's topic, please visit ConnecticutGI.org. Your feedback is important to us, so please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Gut Doctor, and if you think you may need to see a gastroenterologist, just trust your gut.